the heart of Wellington, Kansas, Powder and String Outfitters is your down-home, one-stop shop for all things shooting sports and outdoors. Welcome to the Powder and String Podcast. I would like to welcome back all of our listeners to the Powder and String Outfitters podcast. I am Kip Etter, your host, and I am joined today by Christy Titus. Christy, I greatly appreciate you coming on. Thank you so much for uh, being on the podcast here with us. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me on. We've been trying to coordinate this since SHOT Show, so yeah, (laughs) we've had one swing and a miss, and we're going to hit it this time. Yeah, I'm looking forward to sitting here and chatting about everything shooting, hunting, outdoors with you. Um, you're joining us from your home state of Wyoming. Yes. Yeah. Wyoming. And the last time we talked, you had um, a lot of snow on the ground. Yes. And I, well, when I went out of town for NRA, I was the only person in my neighborhood mowing my lawn because I mowed it around the snow drifts. Uh, because I knew I was going to be out of town for four weeks and I was terrified what my lawn would look like when I came home. And I'm really glad I mowed because my lawn is righteously long right now. <laughs> and we just got home yesterday and um, I'm super glad I did that preemptively, even though there was still snow on the ground. Okay. And well, thank you so much for coming on here. I mean, if you've only been back for a day and gone for about a month, the better part of a yeah. month, thanks for squeezing us in. We greatly appreciate that. Oh, it's my pleasure. No, that's, uh, that's it, I'm glad that we could make it work. So Christy is, um, you're, you're outdoor, you're a hunter, you're an advocate for the outdoors. You have, um, your own TV show, you have your own podcast. Can you tell the listeners a little bit about, about yourself? Yeah. So I host, um, and produce a series called Pursue the Wild, which, um, has historically been airing on Carbon TV, YouTube, and Facebook. This year in June, we're going to be launching on Pursuit Channel. So we're really excited to join the Pursuit family. And also we're going to be joining on the Wild TV app as well. So that's really exciting. Um, And then Pursuit Up as well. So on Wild TV and Pursuit Up, you guys will be able to download and stream the previous six years or five seasons, I should say. So we're airing season six this year and we're filming season seven right now. Um, and then I have a podcast called the Wild and Uncut Podcast, which we record live on location, whether it's a hunting summary or interviewing, you know, unique people that we meet along our, our path of travel. Um, and that airs anywhere you can download a podcast, Facebook, um, and then also uh, Carbon TV and YouTube. Um, and then we just launched a brand new like self-film series called Our Wildlife, which is literally filmed on our phone and it's just like behind the scenes of our day-to-day life and that's airing on carbon tv and uh, youtube and facebook right now and it will be available on pursuit up here shortly that's that's exciting that you're doing that new um i guess i I don't know if i would what what do you are you what do you have a term for it i mean it's not really a new channel or a new but it's it's no i mean to me it's like the most poorly produced <laughs> content in the world, but it's, it's more like watching Instagram stories, but like super yeah. long. So it's literally just 
like a pop-up on my phone or my husband's phone of like what we're doing. It's very authentic. Um, and it's totally unfiltered. It's yeah. unscripted, it's unchoreographed and it's just real life. Yeah. And I think that it, it's so funny because we've talked about that with our, you know, social media and all the stuff that we have going on. Um, we're just getting started. We just, I, I, I had a, uh, this idea, you know, started back in January that, Hey, w- you know, we opened the shop. We need to have, you know, our pro staff and we need to have, you know, content. We need to have social media. And then next thing you know, here we are and, and you and I are talking, but in that short period of time, what you're talking about with that new, you know, kind of in between the scenes, your day-to-day stuff, that's a lot of what we're talking about now is, um, is adding that type of content. And, you know, that, that raw uncut is what I think, I think that's what a lot of people, I know for myself, when I'm a, when I'm a, a, you know, a viewer or, or consuming content, I like that raw uncut stuff. Yeah. And it's fun because it's totally like unfiltered. So it has like these raw reactions of me and my husband and friends. And there's a lot more like me slapping and, you know, kind of fun stuff instead of like my show is so produced. Everything is very scripted and storylined and planned. And Mm -hmm. this is just off the hook. Uh, (laughs) You know, real. Um, and so it's been really fun and it's, it, the show is called wild or no, that's my podcast. Uh, the show is called our wildlife with a W Y. So mm-hmm. like last week we aired a 30 minute show where we were at the Braze Island plantation with Chris Dorsey from sporting classics TV. And it was just us wing shooting and fishing and just like a good time, like hanging out behind the scenes and kind of making fun of each other and, you know, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of stuff like on, you know, we're homesteading right now and putting together a new farm and, you know, training baby mules. And yeah, I saw, was it, and, was it yesterday that was your mule national mule day and your baby mules first birthday? Is that correct? Yes. My baby mules won. Yes. So they got new pink halters to celebrate the other one's not quite one yet, but, um, so yeah, <laughs> but right. people, you know, it's been really fun having, uh, sharing that. And it's actually interesting because as proud of like my produce series that I am, I'm very proud of it. I have more people that come up to me at trade shows that are like, want to engage and talk about my life on my farm and the baby mules way more so than even hunting. So yeah, um, it's really interesting. Yeah. Because it's, they're able to connect more with that. I think, you know, whereas, I mean, for, for a lot of you know, listeners or even hunters or, or whatever stage that they're in, in, in their adventure. Um, you know, it's so, it seems like it's unattainable for them to go to connect with some of the, some of the adventures that the, that, you know, different individuals like yourself go out and hunt and the places like that. When the reality of it is, is it's really not that unattainable. Um, if you really look into it and, and, you know, do a little homework and a little legwork and, and put the effort in, it's really not that hard to, to go do something, a lot of the stuff that you see out there. No. And, you know, it's interesting that you bring that up because I was at SCI and I had um, a gentleman kind of passively like talking about, man, I wish I could do that, but I can't afford a $15,000 hunt. And, you know, most of these like more destination hunts are booking three to five years out. Mm -hmm. Um, And I looked at him and I was like, "Uh, so do you like drink Starbucks? And he's like, yeah. I'm like, how often do you drink Starbucks? He's like, I don't know. I go three or four or five days a week. Depends, you know, take the kids once in a while. And I'm like, all right. So you're willing to spend like four to $6,000 a year on coffee. Mm -hmm. 
and you're going to tell me you can't save money for a destination hunt over three years. And so really, I mean, a lot of what we do comes down to prioritizing. And, you know, that's one of the main reasons my husband and I moved to Wyoming is so that we would have more hunting opportunities for him and I as a married couple, especially with him being international. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of these states have such high preference point creeps that it would make it years before he could draw tags. And right. so by relocating to Wyoming, you know, we're guaranteed resident tags for elk yeah. and deer every year. And um, it opens up financially for us to be able to save to do one really cool hunt a year. Um, and the rest of it's us hunting in our backyard. And and I think people really connect and appreciate with that uh, that as well, you know, that we're packing our own mules into the backcountry and we're doing it ourselves and in more of that and less outfitted. Yeah. And, and you come by it naturally. So you're a little bit about your background. If you want to share it with Pete, with individuals and stuff is, is it, you have a background with mules and being outdoors and that kind of stuff. Correct. Yes. So I've had mules, my dad and mom had mules since I was two years old. And so I kind of grew up doing that. Um, but I have to be honest this year, season six, when it airs, it's going to be pretty cool for me and very impactful because this is my first year hunting where I wasn't packing in with my dad or like a, his buddy, Robbie. Um, so historically when I've packed in, I've always been like, oh, my dad and I are going in and we'll take the mules. And I've always had my dad to really count on to help me. And this year is the first season that my dad didn't go. And, mm-hmm. um, and so like specifically our, um, mule deer hunt in Wyoming and, uh, Yogi and I packed in and, you know, him and my cameraman threw their gear on the ground and they looked at me and they're like, okay, you know, it's pretty much all on my shoulders. And it was the first time that I felt that like level of responsibility. And, and it was a lot, you know, I was getting up in three hour shifts to like swap mules out to graze because we were riding during the day and moving during the day. And we didn't have a lot of time to feed them during the day because, you know, we're trying to hunt. And, and so it was, it added a huge component to our season this year. And, um, I'm excited for that to kind of come out and people be able to watch that. Right. And so you've been hunting pretty much your whole life or, or, or involved in the outdoors your whole life. Yeah. My dad's like a weekend hunter kind of guy, you know, Mm -hmm. a few times a year he goes out and, um, loves going out on the mules and, um, I took it like next level. I introduced my dad to bow hunting and my husband. Mm-hmm. And so that's been a really fun um, process just because historically women don't introduce their dads to hunting. I mean, not that my right. dad knew, you know, we were rifle hunters, but I brought bow hunting into our family and, you know, on my husband's side and my dad, uh, my husband's European. So bow hunting's not a big, big sport over there. Um, yeah. so it's been really fun to bring both of them in and my dad really doesn't hardly rifle hunt at all anymore. That's pretty interesting and cool. Um, it's, it's interesting that you say that because you, I think you hit the nail right on the head that it's very uncommon, um, yeah. for your daughter, um, or the wife to introduce that. And, um, I've kind of talked, you and I have kind of talked a little bit about, um, the scenario with my family, both of my daughters, um, have just become mothers I'm a grandpa now times two. Love it. And my wife. Yes. Thank you. It's awesome. Uh, when you, you have the kids and then whenever they're, you know, throwing a fit or whatever, then you just look at your, your, your daughter and say, well, he's, 
he's broken or she's broken. Go ahead and take her home. When she gets, when you get her fixed, bring her back and uh, we'll spoil her yeah. some more. So it's pretty cool, but no, they're awesome. It's, it's great. Um, my grandson Knox is getting ready to be in June. He'll turn one. Uh, and then my granddaughter, Briston, uh, in September, she'll be uh, one. So it's really cool. But <clears throat> I have always been a hunter. I've always, and, and I'm traditionally um, um, an archery guy. I'm a bow guy. Um, but in the past, you know, going on a little bit more than two years now, we started this um, gun shop and it's, um, you know, called Powder and String Outfitters. Um, the powder is the gunpowder and the string is the bowstring. And so we, I already had my home-based FFL license. And so then I became, then we opened up a brick and mortar store. And then from that, we've, um, you know, we have brought on pro staff that, you know, are professional hunters that go out. And so we film content and stuff with them and, and, um, you know, work with them. And then my daughters all, you know, both had children. And then my wife, who's always been interested in, in guns, um, came to me here just, just right about shot show time and independently reasons why each one of them, but they all wanted to get into the hunting and or shooting world. And so we have started the process of, of capturing and gathering content of them going through their experiences for the first time um, and going hunting and picking out a firearm and going and getting their concealed carry classes and um, we have, we've only done a little bit of it, but it's a process. And our, our goal with it is, is the three of them really have taken, taken it to task, but basically is to, um, go out, get their hunter's education. My, actually, my middle daughter is a hunter's ed certified, so she can be an yeah. instructor, um, which I actually, I think you, you just recently were going through that, didn't you? Yeah, we did. We just became Yogi and I, I drove my husband into it too, <laughs> um, because you have to have two instructors in Wyoming now because of just it's a two instructor course right. now. So I made him to do it, do it with me. Um, he did it totally, you know, willingly. He was excited yeah. to do it. Actually, we're teaching a header ed class, uh, co-teaching a header ed class on Friday. So That's we're awesome. excited to kind of help inspire that next generation of hunter Absolutely. and shooting sports enthusiasts in our home state. And really proud to be part of that. And Wyoming does an incredible job. Their hunter ed program is unbelievable. And these kids that go through it, they have such an incredible experience. Um, like I did hunter ed in this hunter ed class in Wyoming is just unreal. Like it's a great program. And and where are you from originally? It's really fun. I'm originally from Oregon. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. And I think Kansas is set up the same way or similar way. I know that um, Jessica's told me that's my, my daughter that has the, yeah. um, the hunter's ed uh, certificate uh, or teacher's certificate. Um, um, what I went through, we actually, it, it was a, it was a nine week course in school. So you yeah. were in seventh grade, we went through and you learned hunter's education, but, um, but it's and they much offer the same some way. of that in the schools here and they do That's like awesome. a week or, you know, a couple day a week, a hundred class. Mm -hmm. And it takes just, just takes a really long time to get through curriculum in that format. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's great. So yeah, and 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 what basically what they're wanting to do, my daughters and and my wife, they're wanting to be raw and basically get be be an avenue and a and a, have content out there for all the ladies that are getting into this industry or wanting to get into the industry of hunting or or archery or um, you know, be it personal defense, be it shooting, um, whatever that may be, but yet there's that, you know, that persona that, you know, you know, it's a very male heavy, um, industry as you probably can, can attest to. So they're wanting to 
have a have a, a a place where other ladies can go out and and try to see what their experiences are to try and help them make it easier um and more connectable if you will and so it just kind of it was definitely not anything we planned on but it kind of came to fruition and so now we're we're actually um we're, we've been out turkey hunting um and we're oh for about three right now yeah. um so have you been out turkey hunting yet yeah i went to colorado last week with dr bill dickinson one of the founders of tetra hearing and um they have an incredible product if you haven't seen it it's like um an ear device that mm-hmm. is you can be custom or they have some some um, standardized fit devices but it protects your hearing while you shoot but what i really love about it is he has gone in and program different sound waves or sound octaves that different animals make and it's pre-programmed into the device so you can for example like when you're turkey hunting you just press this little button on the side of the device and it's like turkey and it will amplify the sound range that turkeys make um Mm -hmm. so it's really cool the things that you hear with these devices in when you're sitting in the woods and listen to it like come to life so i was with him he got a turkey it was super awesome. Like the turkeys were really rough though. They, they were kind of like post rat elk yeah, <laughs> and they I... were really interested. And so he actually spot and stalked his turkey and got up on it and, and got it um, harvested. And it was super awesome, but we were really struggling with getting birds to come in. And it was really late season tactics where we were just more or less like, we know the turkeys like to move through here. So we throw out decoys and hope they come by because yeah. the goblins just weren't that responsive. And, and I did blow it on a bird. So, um, my bad. <laughs> hey, it happens. Well, you know, I didn't really think it was possible, but I have always, not always, but I've only harvested a couple turkeys with a shotgun uh-huh. and I predominantly archery hunted turkeys. And, right. uh, if you would have told me that you could miss a turkey with a shotgun, I would be like, huh, wait, how? <laughs> and then I did. So, um, <laughs> I have a similar experience. Been, yeah. I have a similar experience. It's been years, but I mean, I think this turkey was at like maybe 15 yards, maybe. Yeah. My butt. I mean, it was the, of all, maybe because I missed it, but of every turkey hunt I have, it's the most memorable. The bird came in just like he was supposed to. It was a 15 minute display. He was, you know, just completely wired for sound, color, you know, head color change, you know, kicking dirt. And I have no idea. I missed that thing. And my buddy looked at me like, what the heck? I'm actually going hunting with him this weekend. Uh, it's a real good buddy of mine from Manhattan, Greg Gilman. And, and, uh, we literally just talked about it a couple of months ago. He said, you remember that time you missed that Turkey from like, you know, the end of your barrel. <laughs> That's like, like the story of my life last week, actually. <laughs> it, uh, it happens. <laughs> it happens. And I, I mean, it was very humbling. Um, and it just makes you know that you're, you're human and yeah, but he's perfect. And, uh, but yeah, so I'm super frustrated with turkeys, but I'm more frustrated with myself. So, uh, that's, that's that. I had a guy tell me one time that that's why they call it hunting instead of killing, just like they call it fishing instead of catching. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but yes, we have been turkey hunting and it's still turkey season here in Wyoming. So the trouble with turkeys in Wyoming is there are a lot of them around private land. And Mm -hmm. so it's very difficult to find habitat to where, they're, you know, doing a lot of public land visiting. <laughs> so, right. Um, we're going to try. We're going to keep trying. We're kind of scouting out some spots right now and keep trying. 
And in your experience that you're you're speaking of, it's interesting that you know you were in Colorado had that experience with regards to you described it as late season, um, you know, hunting. We're having the exact same experience around here, and I've talked to even some of our pro staffers and 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 some guys uh, that are guides, and they're saying not just in this area but region wide. And that's we were talking more, you know, Nebraska, Oklahoma, Kansas, but you're having the exact same experience. I don't I don't know I don't I don't know what causes that or if there's any correlation or anything, but. It's just like with elk, I think, you know, it's post rut and they're kind of done breeding and they're not as interested and they're just like, yeah, there's a hen over there. Mm." And like, you know, what, how we approach it just because it's so difficult to run and gun when you're filming. Mm -hmm. Um, We just found it really successful to set up a blind and just kind of be in an area where turkeys are and, you know, hit your turkey call once in a while. And you don't have to stay on as red alert when you're in the blind. You can kind of relax. You can take Mm -hmm. a nap. You know, you can one person stay up and the other person nap, which actually my husband was totally asleep when mm-hmm. the turkey came in. He thought I was messing with him, but um, came in totally <laughs> silent, but he saw my decoys from a, from afar. And um, I had a laying hen, a standing hen, and I had a jake out and he came into the jake. And um, so did never gobble, nothing, just yeah. came in and started strutting. And, and so it's just just really like a late season kind of post rut, almost like a passive yeah. way to turkey hunt. And it's, it's effective. It you just takes more patience and it's not as exciting all the time as running. Right. And yeah. And that's kind of what we're experiencing. And, and normally this time of year, you still have that full rut, if you will, going with the turkeys, but we're having the exact same experience. We had one um, just last week. He came in just exactly like he wanted. We had a, you know, we had a hen and a Jake decoy out. Um, you know, you can always second guess yourself. And, you know, if I had it to do over again, talk to a couple guys and, you know, hindsight being 2020, um, could have done away with the Jake decoy, but, and he came in and he was just right outside of, you know, shotgun range, what I felt was ethical. And, you know, I, we might've been able to stretch it, but, um, how far was it? 70 yards. That's, that's a poke. I, yeah. I passed on a turkey last week at 70 yards. Yeah. And I I have, so with that particular shotgun, I have not, um, I, I did get the TSS, um, federal TSS, I think is what we were running, but I have not um, shot it on paper to, you know, to, to see what it looks like. And so I just didn't feel comfortable taking a chance on it. And also he was just, I mean, now he came, when he came in, he was wired for sound. I mean, he was out there, at, you know, between 80 and 70 yards, just, going to town gobbling the entire time but he just would not come in another 10 yards where i felt you know more more um i don't know more confident with it and he just stayed at that 70 yards and then we got up and you know did you have a fan we did not have a fan well in that particular one we were set up like you said we set up in a blind because we knew where they were we knew they had been coming into this area and it was was an area where we knew they would be so we were kind of set up with that and then when he left um then we then we were up to do we want to go try and film us running and gunning and so, so <laughs> it is uh, you know and we yogi captured dr bills but it's like a wall of brush literally mm-hmm. this turkey was on this ridge and colorado turkey hunting is there's elk out there there's mule deer it's a totally mm-hmm. different world there's ponderosa pines brush and all you can see is this wall of brush and when dr bills mm-hmm. like boom and then you see the turkey but prior to that, like, if you're looking at it, you're like, is there really a turkey there? Because, right. you know, and it is a lot harder to capture 
when you do the run and gun thing and, and, but it's totally, you know, possible. It's a lot easier when you can run and gun and set up and, and have them strut in versus. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Their little head <laughs> oh, yeah. And, and when it's, in my opinion, when you have a turkey that is, that's strutting, that's, you know, wired, and there is nothing that's more energetic and more exciting than that. Yeah. And it's just, I mean, it's just, I, I'm, I like whitetail. Don't get me wrong. I'm a huge whitetail guy, uh, mule deer. Um, this year I've got a, um, uh, speed goat. We're going to go out and try and shoot a pronghorn. Um, in Kansas, actually. So in Kansas with archery, and I know it's a tough, tough, you know, uh, tag to fill, but in Kansas, it's over. Are you going to sit water or are you going to spot and stock? Um, we've kind of kicked around both. Um, I've got access to a big chunk of ground out West. Um, but you have to have a big chunk of ground to do this. Um, and so I know setting water is much easier. Um, I don't know. I, Back and forth. Really fun. Brandon. Yeah. Yeah. Really fun. yeah. I, I would, uh, it sounds like you have some pointers. So any pointers that you have, I would take because I've never done it. I've, I've yeah, seen them. A decoy. Yeah. Either a cow or another antelope decoy. Mm -hmm. Um, and use that, you know, I haven't tried it with like a live horse, if, but if there's horses in the area, some people mm -hmm. will use a live horse and kind of walk behind a horse. Yeah. Um, but it's really fun belly crawling yeah. the whole thing you know right. like yeah. yeah and we've done that with mule deer you may well try i mean a couple Absolutely. of times do a couple of stocks where you spot and stock and then if it's not working out for you just be like uh okay yeah. ride it and we're gonna go sit water now right yeah i'm, <laughs> I'm just I'm, gonna judge you for that <laughs> yeah i'm i'm we're, we're gonna try it all i mean we're gonna yeah. go give it heck and and i'm gonna go with um my son-in-law um blake and he is a a really good shot with a bow and, um, I used to think I was a good shot with a bow or an above average shot with a bow until I saw him shoot. Yeah. Um, so he, he's definitely, he, he can reach out there. Um, but I know that they're awful fast and, and quick. So I don't know, we're, we're excited. It's going to be something completely new. And so we're going to give it a shot. Um, being how that it's over the counter, um, we're going to try and try and go make a, make a hunt out of it. That's going to be a good time. Yeah, we're super, super excited. We're we're that. hunting new I'm hunting New Mexico for antelope this year. So I'm gonna nice. go down hunt. It's, it's gonna be a good time. So if you had to if you had to say one thing that you'd like to hunt, what species would it be? Elk. Elk. It's it's interesting. Most people that have hunted elk, I've never hunted an elk. Um most people that have just will say that's it, period the end. And yeah. I, I can see why. I mean, I've been out. I used to live in Arizona, so I've been out in the woods and, you know, during rut and, and with guys that have gone and, and it is definitely, um, an experience to have them, you know, bugle when you're in your, in your presence and stuff. It's, it's crazy, but, um, we, we've put in, but we didn't get so far. We haven't gotten anything, um, drawn this year. So. I'm I caught a really awesome bull for my dad last year. And I mean, it was, you know, one of the best days of our life, you know, and, yeah. uh, there's nothing like it. There's nothing so you, like, it. so you called him in and dad sealed the deal. Yeah. 60 yards. That's awesome. Side, nice. Came in screaming, beautiful footage. It's going to be a great episode. I'm really excited about it. And and, uh, really nice bowl. That'll be this year. 
Uh, yeah, that'll awesome. air this year, season part of season six. So yeah. that's awesome. It's so you say that, and and another thing that we hear all the way through our podcast uh, with, all, I think I think probably every guest has said that is is the memory. It's the memory. It's not, you know, there's so much. Um, I don't know what the right word is, but there's so much perception of of that we're out here killing things where, you know, we don't care about the animals. We're not, you know, and it couldn't be any farther from the truth because there's so much more to the entire hunting season than just the, you know, that, that kill shot it's there's, it's leading up to it. It's the preparation. It's the, you know, footage, it's the, you know, with trail cameras, even if you're not, even if you're not filming, filming content like you are um, it's all that, but, it's the memory is what we're doing and the memories that you're making with that experience. And even with, you know, when you don't, when you're not successful, it's still experience, but man, when you're successful and you can just see, you know, even with you, you can see your eyes light up. That's, that's what it's all about. It's for me, it's just the best memories I have with my dad. Mm-hmm. RL Cunning. And we've had some of the coolest things happen. Um, so yeah, it's great this year. Well, my husband elk hunted with us for the last couple of years. And, um, you know, we were in Wyoming last year as resident, well, as non-residents, I cashed out my elk tag and, uh, or non-resident elk points. And my husband and I went elk hunting here and I got a great, a beautiful six point bowl with my husband and just the two of us out there. And, you know, it was, it was awesome experience. There's elk hunting is definitely has my heart, but you know, there's so much to hunt in the world. that's also really awesome, but, uh, yeah, elk kind of takes the cake. Yeah. So have you, have you had any experiences hunting any other large animal game, um, other than elk? Oh yeah. I mean, I've been to, I've hunted North American big game from moose and caribou and mountain goats and sheep, doll sheep. And then I've hunted red stag in New Zealand and tar. And I've been to Africa and hunted kudu and, you know, so I've, done a lot of big game hunting this year one of my most I think exciting hunts uh for me is I'm pursuing leopard in Namibia this year and I'm really looking forward to that it's going to be completely different experience and it will be once in a lifetime for me so I'm really did you say leopard yes yeah please please uh explain a little bit more about that I mean I'm familiar with mountain lion so tell us about leopard so leopard hunting has to be done during the day and you can't use dogs, but you can use bait and they're a very weary and smart animal. Um, and so we'll be, we'll be hunting bait during the day and setting baits up and then checking cameras and baits like daily. And um, it's a two week hunt because the leopards are very keen and they work a pretty big circle. Um, big area. And so I, I've never done it. So I don't have a lot of experience to draw on. And right. the things that I'm saying, this is my understanding, I should say, um, of how it's going to go. And uh, so it's, it's a very difficult hunt. Um, there's a lot of people that go numerous times trying to harvest a leopard because of the restrictions that they have on hunting. And then also, you know, different people have different harvest objectives for management and whatnot. And so um, the place we're going was historically a photo safari only area. And that wasn't sustainable for their anti-poaching efforts and their land management efforts um, financially. Um, So they just opened it up to hunting again. And so we're going to tell that story as well, because they have a very incredible population of wild 
um, elephants and lions and the ecosystem there is is very diverse um, and you know they it relies on hunting to ensure the safety protection and, and the sustainability of that of that environmental condition that they're in and and so it's going to be a really great process to be part of yeah and and where are you where are you doing that at again Namibia yeah I I it's to have you say what you just said with regards to the hunting and how it fits into the anti-poaching and how it fits into the, basically the overall, you know, the ecology, the ecosystem, the, the, the financial system of all of that. Uh, there are so many people that don't know that. Um, even I find even here at the shop guys will come in or, or ladies will come in and, you know, they don't realize that in, especially in those um, African countries, how much the, hunter is responsible for the overall um, survival of so many different species and, and even clear down to people and how, when something over there is harvested, how much that goes to the, to the economy as well and to the people. Well, I mean, there's so many countries in Africa, it's a huge continent, but if you look at like the country of South Africa, for example, that landscape is very similar to Texas. So if you imagine in Texas, there's not a lot of public land to go hunting. There's a lot of fences and there's a lot of gates and there's a lot of do not, you know, trespass signs. Um, and the, the animals that are on those lands are inaccessible, basically, right? Because it's privatized. South Africa is the same way. But imagine just like Texas, high fences everywhere. So even if you're a native or a local and you live there, you don't have access to hunting um the wildlife in a large part is privately owned so these landowners are you know having their own breeding programs and in the wildlife really exists because of hunters um and harvesting an animal in in these countries provides a meat source to those residents that would not have financial means to access it otherwise yeah it, but it, it's it, different in other countries too like you know namibia's not not as privatized but it's still a lot of private land and and not everybody in the world is as um fortunate as we are here in the united states and just be able to go buy a non-resident tag or a resident tag and go hunting um that's just something that we in some regards take for granted yeah and boy you we could go down a whole nother we could have a whole nother uh several hour podcast with regards to people that uh, don't realize that they hit the biggest lottery ticket in the whole world by just being born in the United States and what you're, you know, what that provides us. We're very um, blessed. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. If you've left the United States in any way and gone to other countries, man, you're, you have a little bit of insight to it and it's, it's, we're lucky to be to live here and have the rights that we have currently for us. So, so with regards to your season six, what else, what other highlights do you have that you can share with us without letting too much out of the bag? Oh, I have tons of cool stuff. So I cashed out 16 years worth of points in Oregon and did an antelope hunt as a resident. I cashed out my dad's and my mule deer points. We combined them and I drew a mule deer tag. And my husband and I spent 11 days in a two-man tent uh, hunting. You really figure out, you really figure out a lot about each other like that, huh? (laughs) Yeah. And it was a grind, um, but I got a beautiful buck there. and And where was that at? In Oregon also. So we cashed out my Oregon resident points and my Wyoming non-resident points. So we have, we call it the cash out season. Right. Um, and then we came over to Wyoming and we hunted mule deer here. We hunted elk here. We hunted whitetail here. 
Um, we, we just had a great season. Um, I got, I killed my biggest deer last year. I got the new bear tree execute bow and I took it to Kansas and I harvested my largest mule, uh, to me, whitetail buck to date. Yeah. And, uh, that was super awesome. Um, and just an incredible deer and really fun hunt. And, um, so there's tons of great stuff. I went access deer hunting in Hawaii with the ladies from girls with guns clothing and I, and team Ruger and, uh, turkey hunting in Oregon in the Western mountains with a bow with Yogi, uh, harvesting his first turkey with a bow. So there's so much good stuff there. It's going to be a really fun, uh, season for us to debut to everybody. Yeah. That sounds exciting. And I can't, I look forward to watching it. That's, um, that's one of the things that we're finding out with the content as we filmed content. Cause again, keep in mind, we're just, this turkey season is really, well, we did a little bit with waterfowl, late waterfowl, but you know, this turkey season is first is, is trying to get the content, but then also not share too much of it. So that way that it's kind of a fresh, fresh to other, you know, to everybody out there. So. Yeah. yeah. And you know, the audiences that are watching stuff on Facebook and Instagram might not be watching pursuit or network, you know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. you know, Sometimes I feel like my content's old, you know, whatever, like, oh, you know, this is old, but like really, honestly, majority of people haven't seen it. So, you know, there might be a few people that follow you that are like, man, don't post a picture of that again. (laughs) I've seen this before, but by and large, your, your audience can vary from hour to hour and minute to minute everywhere. And so, so it doesn't hurt to share stories more than once. I don't think. No, not at all. Any, any kind of any kind of advertisement or news or speaking is, is good news. I I believe it's, yeah. it's, you get the, get the content, get the word, get the, uh, you know, get the information out there for sure. So with regards to, I know one of the things that you're a really big advocate on is, is ladies and women in the outdoors and stuff like that. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the stuff that you have going for that? Cause I've, I know you've, you worked with that. Yeah. So, um, I just went to, uh, gun, the Gunsight Academy with the ladies from Girls with Guns and, um, Ruger. And we did a big training there with, um, I think it was like 23 women. We did, we did some training, um, drawing out of the concealed casual lineup that Girls with Guns has. So we did that. And then, um, I'm actually putting my range together right now. Like Yogi and I are literally, well, we were snowed out of our property. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so um, we were literally putting in a road today and tomorrow. Well, we're not doing it. Somebody else is. <laughs> They're right. putting in a road and then we're bringing my shoe house out and we are hanging steel. And um, eventually we'll be doing some some training opportunities at our at our ranch here in Wyoming. That'll be kind of a pay to attend you know, situation. So we're working towards that. And, um, that's going to be a lot of fun, but traditionally I've gone to Armed women of America every year and trained there. Um, and that has a, AWA has over 500 chapters and it's like the chapter leaders typically that come to that conference, but I think they're opening it up to members as well. And so I've, I've trained at those events numerous times on positional shooting or long range shooting. I did seminars at NRA this year on shooting and, so I try to stay pretty active in the training community as well. You know, we've added Hunter Ed now to kind of what we do as a community service. Um, and uh, it's just fun seeing the reaction of ladies. Like when we were at Gunsight, there were some women that that were, I guess, in the outdoor industry in some regard, like whether they're writers or they're buyers for stores. And there was two women in particular that were tearful stepping onto the range, they were so anxious and nervous shooting a pistol 
Um, and by the end of it, like to see their face when the change from fear to empowerment, mm-hmm. like I can do this. I did this. Uh, this isn't scary. And it was a, an incredible transformation, specifically in a couple of the ladies. Um, and it made it all worthwhile, you know, just seeing that on their faces was incredible. Yeah. Because it's, you know, one thing we hear here in the shop quite a little bit is, is especially from the ladies side is, is that, you know, where do I go to get training and who trains? They want to know, is there a, do they have a lady on the, on staff or whatever? And, um, we're lucky we have a local range here and they do an awesome job, um, trigger guard and they actually will put on a ladies only course. So yeah. it's all ladies. It's they have, they put on a concealed carry class for them. They have a league shoot where they can go out and, and shoot in this league and it, they're allowed to go out and, and shoot. Um, they have certain times that they can shoot, but they can also shoot individually um, but it's all ladies. And so that allows them to, to not feel that intimidation um, because um, it's just, it's really, it, well, I think from kind of what you're saying, and, and I guess maybe I, I should ask this question, but once you've got into shooting, you start doing it, you realize it's not as, as intimidating as what it was made out to be. You know, it's just loud, it's noisy. And for the most part, it's always just been males out there shooting, but you know, there, I can tell you that. It doesn't have to be loud and noisy. Well, yeah, so, suppressors. You know, good, good hearing protection. Yes. You know, getting mm-hmm. getting a set of like you know electronic ears like Tetra, you know, where you can hear those range commands from your range master, so you mm-hmm. have good comprehension of what's going on, gives you that confidence. Okay, I'm I'm doing the right thing right now, but then also having that comfort of knowing when you press a trigger that you're going to be safe and absolutely. And that's that's like good hearing protection is I think really changed the factor of intimidation for a lot of ladies. And then also learning on a caliber that is fun to shoot. Um, I 100% and, agree with you on that. And that's just like one of the most important things or or a rifle that properly fits. Mm-hmm. And knowing what that means and being educated on how to establish what your length of pull is. What is my eye relief? And then mounting that optic and getting that length of pull in those components to where it's really an extension of your body and it fits you. Um, you don't have bad experiences and, uh, that's, that's one of the most important things for ladies, for kids, for, for even, you know, any new shooter really is, is very valuable. Yeah. And that's, we, we do that all the time. It's, uh, I was actually going to be one of my questions that I was going to ask you is, is what, if you could give some piece of advice for ladies that are looking to get into hunting or to shooting, um, what would it be? You kind of hit you know, hit on the nail on the head with a lot of that stuff. And, and we see that in here is, you know, um, when you're speaking of like handguns for concealed carry, we, on a very regular basis, we have ladies that'll come in and they're looking for, you know, a semi-automatic 22, generally like a, you know, like a Glock 44, G44. And when we ask them, you know, what are you wanting this for? Well, I'm taking a concealed class or I'm, I'm, you know, in a league and they, you know, they already had a gun, but the gun that they had was one that their husband you know, told them, well, you should have this one. Well, you know, they're, they're shooting something that's, you know, nine millimeter or a 45 and, you know, or a 40 Smith Wesson, whatever it may be. And it's like, well, that was, you know, there, it just doesn't work quite as well for them. And that's not to say that once they start with the 22 or get, you know, start shooting the 22, then they very regularly will transition back to that nine millimeter and be, and be proficient in both of them. But when you're just getting started, there's no reason to have something that's going to um, not be, um, beneficial towards getting your proficiency down with shooting. 
Yeah, your fundamentals of marksmanship are everything. And and when it comes to firearms, you know, companies like Ruger make all kinds of firearms in revolvers or semi-automatics because they all kind of have their own purpose. And so like LCP two 380s are available in a 380, but now they have the LCP two and a 22. So you can train yes. with a two and then carry a 380. So you have that valuable training time that has you know, lower expense. They've got, they've introduced um, products, you know, called the light rack slide that's yep. in several platforms so that people with reduced hand strength can have an easier time racking and operating the firearm. And, um, So firearms manufacturers have really taken heed to that. And I think a lot of it is, is just before you invest in gear, before you buy a gun, don't do it because somebody told you to go out and have an experience and, and borrow people's gear. Like, okay, well, you think I should have a 300 PRC for elk hunting. Let's go shoot one and see Mm -hmm. how that is. And maybe you'll find that you like the 6.5 PRC better than 300 PRC or 6.5 Creedmoor for deer better than 7 MMO8 or, you know what I mean? So um, it's, it's having that experience with a firearm, figuring out what you like, and then also deciding, you know, kind of working that backwards. What's your application? You know, um, revolvers are a great concealed carry option because there's not a lot to go wrong with them. It's really, they're, they're very, you know, not prone for malfunctions versus semi-automatics. If you have one in a purse and you shoot through a purse and your slide gets jammed up when it's cycling and, you know, there's all these things to think about, like, well, how are you going to use this firearm and what are you hunting with it? What type of shooting sport are you participating in? How are you planning on carrying? Um, Are you jogging? You know, if I'm jogging, I might want to do um, like a super compact nine, like a max nine or go roll down into like an LCP two, 380. That's super tiny, like micro compact. And so just trying, like figure out what identifying what you want the firearm for. Um, are you plinking in the backyard with your family? Well, why not plink with some 22s? Cause it's cheap to shoot them and really fun. Um, so figuring that out and then working backwards in your purchase of, okay, well, so if this is my application, what are calibers that are acceptable for that um, or models and makes, and then, and then just kind of research down and and trial and error, you know, borrowing friends stuff and going with the range with your friends is is a great way to learn um, and, and figure out what gear that you might want before you make that financial investment. And I always encourage people with holsters, like, especially like, I think everybody that has, firearms and conceals carries have like a bin of holsters they never use. <laughs> so if you that can borrow some holsters or go look at holsters, talk to people, how they carry, um, get, you know, like they have really great blue guns for practice. Like a lot of firearms instructors have blue guns. They're not real firearms, but they're the same platform as a firearm. Get that blue gun, put it in a holster, wear it around for a while. See how it feels. See, see where's your comfort level and, um, and, and go from there. Yeah. Um, in all of your free time, do you want to come work in the shop? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I know, right? <laughs> yeah. Because you literally said in that entire, um, you know, conversation right there, you, you hit on every single point that we talk about in the shop. So what we normally see happen if, and it's not necessarily just, it doesn't just stick with, you know, just for ladies, it's also, um, you know, anybody that walks in the shop that may not have ever shot before. And generally speaking, when they come in and they want an automatic, I got to have a semi-auto, I got to have that, you know, the black 
semi-auto gun because that's what they see in the movies. And, you know, of course, if you have very little experience in the, in this, you know, firearms industry, then that's all you have to, you know, to, to form opinion upon. Well, why not? But then when you ask them, you know, one of the things I usually ask is, is how much are you going to practice? Are you going to shoot this? Are you going to shoot this gun at least 500 rounds a year? And if the answer is no, then I, you know, tell them, well, maybe we need to consider looking at a revolver. And generally their first response is, is, well, why would I go to revolver? That's an old cowboy gun. It's like, oh, no, 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 no. It's, it's actually, yes, it's been around for a long time, but it's very, very, um, you know, as you said, it's not prone to have malfunctions and um, they're reliable. They're very reliable. Yeah. Especially you get to the hammerless revolvers. I mean, I'm a big fan of hammerless revolvers, um, especially for ladies with the purse, because that way you don't have to worry about that hammer. It's just literally just, just pull the trigger and go. Um, but, yeah. but the semi-auto, as you, as you had talked about, it's way more prone to having malfunctions, to jamming, to all those. And if you don't know how to clear around, you don't know how to, you know, fix a stovepipe. If you don't know how to, you know, if the mags got a misfeed, if you don't know how to clear that, then yeah. it's completely useless. And so, you know, start with the revolver and I 100% agree with you with regards to, you know, the 22s. Um, we actually here at the shop, we, uh, sponsor a, a shooting team, uh, uh, for, um, they go travel the country and stuff. And, um, one of the, several of them on the team are extremely talented, but, uh, Andrew Yoder, he's on the team and he just, um, he's been to two Glock shooting sports, ma uh, foundation matches. Uh, one was in, uh, down in Texas and one was in, uh, Sparta, Illinois, and he was the, uh, matchmeister at both of them. So he won the whole thing. Um, but he's been on the podcast before and spoke about, um, practicing and practicing with, um, just trigger time, just, dry just fire. going, yep. Dry fire. And he, he made the comment and we laughed about it, but it, it was very poignant and it made a point and it stuck with us is how many times that he's killed his light switch in his room. Yeah. And so he dry fires at his light switch in his room. He said at least a hundred times a night. And, um, it's just, it's going through and training and, and learn just like with anything it, you have to put in the, you have to put in the effort. You have to put in the the extra work. Um, things don't just, you know, come naturally. They don't just happen. You don't have somebody like Christy Titus who's out and, you know, shoots a an elk. It didn't just happen overnight. There was a lot of stuff that led up to that. And I think like with dry fire practice, people were like, well, I can't press a trigger on my firearm in my home. And there are really safe ways that you can dry fire practice, you know, obviously like designating your range location to your mm -hmm. family. So everybody knows when you're dry firing, setting up a drown down range location, make sure there's no ammo present in the room at all. Um, get some great snap caps and you can have some really effective training in a very safe manner, you know, double, triple check that your firearms unloaded. Like I said, no ammo and, um, dry fire practice. You know, if you talk to a lot of professional competitive shooters, they're drawing from the holster and they're dry fire practicing every day every before day. they go to the range. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I watched, um, I watched a, I've watched tons of videos, but one, one of them that I came across with, uh, Jerry Mitchellack, he was talking about how much he has dry fired in practice every day since the, like, I think the seventies, if I remember right, it's been a while since I watched it, but He's like every single day I dry fire every single day before I go to bed or, or, you know, in the morning or whatever, he at least is practicing some type of shooting, you know, practicing dry fire of some sort every day. And, you know, that's just, 
there's a reason why he's as good as he is. And his daughter is incredible too. Yeah. Lena, she's just, yeah, she's, yeah. It's, I love watching a lot of the stuff that they put out and everything like that. It's, it's pretty cool. Um, with regards to hunting, where, with, where would you recommend to somebody that's, you know, for a lady that's just getting into hunting and, um, what, what, what type of hunting and what, what is, you know, ease into it, turkey, deer. I think it's whatever's in your area and accessible, right. And who you have a community to support you in that journey. Um, there's a lot of great groups out there. There's the first hunt foundation, which has chapters all over the country that has a great group of people that will help you learn to hunt that she hunts camps or in Texas. Those are a little more expensive, but they're pretty incredible. And then you have like, uh, the what's it Northwest women's hunting camps, uh, the candy outfits on, um, that are, are great camps to go and learn. But I think if you're not going to go to a formal camp, then just find and outreach people in your community and tag along with them because that's your best opportunity, whether it be a turkey or a white-tailed deer or an elk, um, you're going to learn, you have yeah. to hunt what you have in your area. Um, and so it's always nice to start with low pressure animals, because like something like feral hogs, um, I know if I blow a stock on a feral hog, there's going to be maybe 50 more around the corner, (laughs) you know? So, you know, going to a place like Texas and really kind of get it out. Some of those jitters where if you don't quite get set up in time and the pig takes off, um, you know, you're going to have a really good opportunity versus like, if you go for like a once in a lifetime mule deer and you don't get set up on it, it's a lot more pressure. Um, so I think finding things which you have a more of a target rich environment, um, is, is helps build confidence. Um, same with like doe hunting for white-tailed does, things like that. Like, okay, well, if I blow it on this white-tailed doe, chances are another one will come along or there's some States that you can harvest multiple does. And then you have, you know, that great process of processing the meat or donating. Um, so there's, for me, I would say, you know, if you're just starting those low pressure, uh, high opportunity hunts to really make it a lot more enjoyable. Yeah. And I think one of the things that this industry, this, um, you know, the hunting in general, it, most of the guys, um, guys and gals, I'd use that, that term loosely, but most of the people that are out there hunting, they're, they're very open. They're very, they want to help. They're, they're want to, they want to see new people get into it and they want to see, the success and they want to see somebody have that, that their the light in their eyes, you know, sparkle and, and have that, share that experience of what it's like to, to be successful, um, on a hunt. And so with, if you compound that along with social media and there's so many different, as you've, you've rattled off numerous different, um, clubs that, that are out there, there's so much stuff that's out there available that hasn't been there in the past, you know, that, that can help people get into the outdoors, the shooting, the hunting. It's, there's a lot of stuff that's out there that, that you can get introduced into hunting and, and, and this world. And it's, it's, it's for people like you that are passionate about it. It's, it's, it's awesome to hear you talk about it. You can hear the drive in your voice. Yeah, no, I, I think there's a lot of great groups and, and, Sometimes they do require a little digging. Sometimes it is really hard to kind of figure out where to start. I always encourage people to join a nonprofit. So find a local SCI chapter, find an NRA chapter, find an RMEF chapter, find a Sheep Foundation chapter, 
one of these chapters, I guarantee there is a volunteer in there or a member in there that would love to teach you and take you hunting. And um, obviously, not only are you, you know, uh, hunting and taking from the land, but with that, then you're also kind of perpetuating a deeper dive into that full circle of conservation and land stewardship. And uh, by being active in conservation, I feel like um, uh, instead of just, you know, with your tag and license fees, by being active in an, in an organization is a really great way to ensure, you know, great future for not only hunters, but also the wildlife and wildlands that call it, you know, that they call home. So, yeah. Absolutely. And we've had before on the podcast, we've had um, Ducks Unlimited has been on and and um, we've done stuff with the Friends of the NRA. We've done stuff and we work with really close in the shop with NWTF, um, uh, Pheasants and Quail Forever, uh, Whitetails Unlimited. Um, we work with all of those organizations here of the shop. But um, one of the things we've talked about before is, is that for the, for individuals that are out there that, that, that do hunt and that are in, I think you are 100% correct in saying more than just the get your tag and go out hunting you have a responsibility to be a part of of these organizations go you know join them go to their their um go to their banquets that they put on generally they're great banquets and more than likely you're going to walk out of there with something in your hand that you didn't have before they have tons of giveaways they have tons of opportunities to win anything from you know ammo ammunition hats clear up to knives and and even firearms but that is a way to get involved and and make, you know, to network with people that are like-minded with you um, that enjoy the stuff that, that we're talking about here today and, and both enjoy um, pretty much year round. So I, I 100% agree with you in, in regards to that. And I don't think that there's necessarily uh, one that's, I mean, maybe one that's better than the other, but just in any way, just get involved with one or, or multiple. They're, they're, they're great organizations. And, and just because they're, you know, whitetail unlimited or just because it's Rocky Mountain elk doesn't mean that that only benefits that species of animal. It It's very broad and widespread. Well, and that's, you know, that's interesting. You kind of bring that up. Like Safari Club International is one of the only, if not the only nonprofit apart from NRA um, that has lobbyists that are in Washington, D.C., uh, fighting with their attorneys and lobbying to ensure that we have hunting rights and that we can continue our tradition and legacies. And I'm, I'm an advocate for people encouraging more of these nonprofits to get lobbyists and have paid attorneys that are doing more on our courts. Um, and we need to be collectively working better together. We need to, more organizations need to take the model of groups like SCI and what NRA is doing to get in our courtrooms to defend hunting. And, um, so that's that's a twist I'm trying to push, um, trying to make that more, you know, it, we all need to do more for for land and wildlife, but we also need to protect our rights. And that happens in the courtroom. And I'm really, you know, a lot of people aren't an SEI member and they don't understand why they would want to if they've never been to Africa. But the majority and lion's share of work that SEI does is right here in the United States and it's in our courtroom. Um, and a lot of people don't realize that uh, 70% of locally raised funds stay in communities with SCI chapters as well that they can use for their own grants. And so I'm a huge SCI advocate um, for, for many reasons, but that's just a couple of them. And I'd like to see, you know, more people get involved. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. Um, and, and 
I've I don't think we've talked spoke about it on the podcast, but we've all, but we have spoke about it in regards to that if you don't have the Second Amendment, then almost all of this goes away. I mean, I mean, we, we you and I both are big archery, but that's um, it's just a, the, there's a large portion of this that all goes away if we don't have that. And there, the other side, I don't mean to be that way, but the other side, boy, they're very organized and very um, unified with regards to trying to pick away our rights little by little um, that the, and, and the majority, what I find the majority of them just, they don't even know it, it's, they're very uneducated um, or ignorant in the things that they're trying to pick away and take away from us is that there's, that's not the real issue and that's not the real problem. So we, we has, we as um, hunters um, need to, and, and outdoorsmen and sportsmen need to be definitely involved in that because it's, it's, it's paramount to be, to be involved with that. Um, so I have a question. I know that your husband, um, he's, he's from Europe, correct? Yeah. He's German and Swedish. German and Swedish. Okay. So I've been to Germany before I'm asking, where does his take being from Europe and coming to the United States and the differences with regards to the second amendment and, and the, the privileges that we have? It's just, well, and I'm not really sure how the firearms rules are in Germany. Cause I don't spend as much time there. Um, in Sweden and in, in the U.S., it's just very different. Like he has a limited amount of firearms he can have and they're all registered and the police can come inspect your firearms and how you're storing them literally at any time. Um, and there has to be a reason behind the ownership of each firearm. Um, and so it's just it's just very different. They don't have a Second Amendment. They can't just carry a firearm around and with a pistol and you know walk through town and um be, you know, their own first responder, if you will. So, um, but I, I mean, I don't, I'm not that well versed on their firearms laws to like go too deep into it, but, um, he is very limited on how many he can own and they all have to have a purpose. And when you discharge them, like for example, um, you, you might live in an area like his family farm is 900 acres, but it's in an area where it has more population around it. And so you, in his particular area, can't just go shoot the firearm inside it in and just go plinking. And, um, cause they have different laws, uh, they're called every man's right, which means that every man has a right to your property to pick mushrooms and enjoy and hike. <laughs> so if you have a fence around your property, you have to provide access for people to be on your property. And so things are just really different over there. Um, and like I said, I'm not super well versed on all of it, but um, I think that he definitely enjoys the freedom that we have yeah, here. And that was kind of what I was going is what is what what is his take from over there with the restriction of it to here where it's very open. Yeah, in in like in Sweden, they they do have firearms, they have shooting sports. It's just mm -hmm. restricted like tremendously. Mm -hmm. So um, <clears throat> I think the biggest difference over here is you know, we can own whatever firearm we want, depending on where you live. Yeah. Um, you know, like if you live in California, there's still heavy restrictions. If you're in Oregon, there's still heavy restrictions. If you're in Washington, New York, you know, so everywhere you live is vastly different with restrictions and access and opportunity. Obviously, we live in one of the freest states in the country in Wyoming. And, um, you know, he can carry without a concealed carry. We have constitutional carry here. It's one of the reasons we wanted to live here um, is because... I really feel and believe wholeheartedly that 
someone who has ill will in mind, um, if they don't know if a citizen is armed or not, they're less likely to commit a, an act. Um, versus if they believe a citizenry is unarmed, they're more likely to commit acts. So uh, Wyoming, you never know who's carrying because anybody mm -hmm. can carry as long as you're of legal age and and can pass a background check. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, we love that here. We love that knowing that we feel safer and we are safer because our neighbors are armed. Yeah. And that's the same way in Kansas. And I 100% agree with everything that you just said. If the, you know, the, the bad guy is going to be bad regardless. Um, the, the, there's no rule that's going to stop him because they don't care about the rule. Um, so the only, the only way to, you know, to, to heed that off is to have somebody else who's, you know, potentially armed and that will put a second guess in somebody's mind. And I 100% agree with you on that. Um, and it's, you know, it's my goal as a person who carries every single day all the time is that I hope I never, ever have to brandish that weapon, never want to use it ever. Um, and I'm going to try everything I possibly can to keep from, but if I'm pushed into a corner and I absolutely have to, then I have that as a um, opportunity or a, a way to protect myself, my family, um, in that situation. And, um, yeah, Kansas is the same way. We're, we're, uh, we're one of, I think, we're, I think it just reached 26 states. That's, um, constitutional carry. I think I just read that, that in the last month or so we got to 26. Yeah. Wyoming was, a second amendment sanctuary before second amendment sanctuary was cool. Right. <laughs> So that's one thing, you know, coming from Oregon, they're they're working on a lot of firearms legislation right now that is changing and the other way so quickly. Yeah. And that I just was like, OK, I, this is no longer a place that I want to call home. So we yeah. left it. I call myself a freedom refugee. <laughs> so and, we're state. Yeah. And my wife is she's originally from California. And kind of the same thing, like all of her family has left. She's only got a couple of cousins that live out there now. And um, it's just not the same place it used to be at all. And I, I personally can tell you, I have zero desire to go back out there. It's, it's, I just don't feel safe and it's not what it was at all. Yeah, no, it's uh it's nice to live in a place where, where we have that, that ability to, to protect ourselves and provide for ourselves. Absolutely. Yeah. 100%. So I want to switch gears just for a second. Um, you have been, you talked a little bit about shooting archery and I know we've talked before you, um, recently went out and did some shooting for the first time with, uh, your bow. Tell a little bit about your, uh, your experience when you went out and did the top, was it the totally arch archery challenge that you did? Oh yeah. We just did tack in San Antonio. It was a great time. We mm -hmm. really enjoyed it. Um, I love the tag events. They're a ton of fun. And um, so we went down there for tack and shot that and just had a great time. Got some sun and and we're actually doing big sky as well this year. So um, we'll shoot tack. In, we did San Antonio. We'll do big sky in June and uh, just kind of get ready for 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 hunting season. And we are actually going to be in the next week or so also putting out like all our 3D targets because we finally got the snow melted. So not mm -hmm. only putting together our gun range, we're also working on our archery range. And um, I think the biggest thing for me last year that really changed my life as an archer is the Trophy Ridge 
digital React technology um, and the React technology in their sites. And um, like with a firearm in my Night Force optics, I can have point of aim, point of impact accuracy at distance. Um, thanks to, you know, modern, uh, software that helps me compensate for drop and, and the react technology does that in as well. Um, and so think about chronographing your bow and you kind of true up your speed at distance. And, you know, you can take what would take me normally, like, you know, two weeks to fine tune and tune in a bow out to 80 yards and I can do it in an afternoon. Um, and so that's really been very impactful for me. When I have a 52 yard target, I dial my bow to 52 yards and I'm shooting for 52 yards. And, um, like when I was in Texas last week, I shot a hog at 75 yards. It's the longest archery shot I've ever made. It was awesome. Um, so I, it's revolutionized life for me. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Sounds like you're a big fan of it. I've, I've Dylan and I have talked about it. I have not yet got my hands on one, but um, it's it's definitely a game changer for sure. Yeah, and if you're in a state that doesn't allow digital technology, you can have that same technology. It's just non-digital format, right? So right. as long as you have a bow speed of up to, it's like the minimum is like 260 feet a second, which even I am getting that. So pretty much any bow, um, the React technology will work in and it's it's just incredible it's so easy and i mean it just makes it to where you're not second guessing yourself on gapping pins or where to hold and like when you're under a lot of pressure it's really hard to remember all that stuff anyway and it just makes it to where you just have to focus on that pin yep yeah, yeah. and um was that so was Texas, was that your first total archery challenge that you had been to or have you been to them before that no i've been to them before i've shot them before i shot last year went to Park City last year, and I went to uh, Big Sky last year. Um, okay, I don't know why I thought I thought had from one of our conversations. I thought that you had um, that was your first one, so maybe it was. Just oh no, one it's just my year. first one this year. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I've not been to one yet. I it's something that I definitely want to look into for. I probably be next year for sure. Yeah, come out west. Yeah, like, the western ones. They're the, it's just so scenic. Um, yeah, you get some awesome terrain and big angles and you're going to do stuff that you're not in Kansas anymore. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. We're not in Kansas anymore. <laughs> yeah. I, I lived in Arizona for seven, eight years. And so I've been out West, um, before, but yeah, I, I definitely, um, that's in my game plan. I'm, I'm working on, um, I want to have at least one hunt a year out West somewhere, um, is what I've kind of my goal for the, for the future. So I definitely want to start doing that. I, I'm definitely looking forward to something like that for sure. Yeah, you and you should for sure. Yeah. So <laughs> come out well, to Big Sky. You'll love it in Montana. It's so beautiful. Yeah, yeah. There's everything's bigger out west, and and the the saying of you know it, everything in Montana you can see forever. It is true. It you see across the you know across the the, the landscape, and you're like, oh, that's just a couple miles, and man, it's not. Big sky country. It's a big sky country for sure. Yes, absolutely. So, yeah. well, I greatly appreciate you being on, Christy. Thank you so much for coming on the, the podcast here. It's been awesome. It's been very, um, you know, in, enlightening. Um, and I look forward to running into you again in uh, our travels. And I wish you the best this year in your hunting and all of the things that you got going on. And we'll have to uh, see if we can't catch up again sometime in the future. 
you know what? I, I appreciate you having me on. And um, I want to invite all of your listeners or and viewers to follow me on social media. So it's at Christy Titus um, on Facebook and um, Instagram. But then I also have the Our Wild Life pages, which has like a different dynamic that I want you guys, if you're out there and you want to follow, we also have a YouTube channel for Pursue the Wild and Our Wild Life. And you can also watch on Carbon TV. So Pursue the Wild and Our Wildlife. And then starting in June, we'll be on Pursuit Channel for Pursue the Wild. I'm really excited. Yep. You got a lot of stuff going on and we'll make sure that we get all that stuff added to the uh, podcast and we greatly appreciate it. And for all of our listeners out there as well, if you haven't already liked and subscribed, go ahead and like and subscribe. That really helps us out. We greatly appreciate it. And uh, again, thank you, Christy. And until next time, this is the Powder and String Outfitters podcast. We're your hometown shop. Bye.